0: we have arrived. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm wore out. And I'm glad to have arrived at the very last sermon in our series that we have entitled "Entitled Current Issues. I told Robin after I preached this four series or these four sermons in this series that I need a long break I'm ready for about two or three months off out of the pulpit because I am wore out I can tell you that but I will tell you also it has been great because God has really challenged me in my thinking in many different ways and I hope that God has challenged you and your thinking as well as we have searched scripture and as we have allowed scripture to determine what we believe concerning current events or current issues that we're facing in America. When I started this series of sermons I shared with you, I started it really for two reasons. The first reason is I wanted our lives to be firmly planted on God's Word. I don't want us to be tossed here and there by every wind of false teaching that comes along. I want us to know why it is that we believe what we believe. And we can substantiate it from Scripture. We don't have to depend upon anyone else. That's the reason every Sunday morning I encourage you, bring your Bible with you, bring your device with you, open them up. I want you to see and measure my words against God's Word to determine if I'm truly speaking the truth of God's Word. You have that responsibility, I have that responsibility. The second reason is... I wanted to make sure that we could provide answers to our friends, coworkers, relatives, whoever it is that are raising these questions to us, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. If you are living the Christian life, there are people that are watching you. They are watching you. And they have questions about your faith and oftentimes questions center on the current events that we are facing as Americas what do we believe about that really we don't want to point them necessarily to what we believe as much as what we hold to be the truth of God's word now we've looked at some trying issues haven't we First, we talked about the sanctity of life and we walked away a hope with an understanding that all life, whether it's born or unborn, is fearfully and wonderfully made by the hands of God. I hope, that we, I hope that we will value life and we will stand on the truths of God's Word when it comes to valuing life in our society, in the culture we live in today. Because I will tell you, our government is doing everything within its ability to diminish life in America. And so we need to stand firmly on the Word of God. Where God draws the line in the sand, we need to stand with God. I like what one man told me when I first went into the ministry. He said to me, Jeff, remember, you and God always make up the majority. And you know what? It's so very true. If you are with God, you make up the majority. I can tell you that today. You, can make, you make up the majority. The second sermon that we looked at, we looked at the immigration issue that we're facing, the immigration crisis that we're facing in America. If you remember nothing else from that sermon, I hope this is what you walked away. As for the church, immigration is not an issue of political policy. It is an issue of people. Of people. All of those people that we see on TV standing at our borders have names and faces and they are precious in the sight of God. And regardless of a person's status in America, Every single person has been created in the image and the likeness of God. And we as God's church have been given a responsibility, a mandate to love and to minister to all people. That is the truth of God's word. Now, I don't want to diminish the importance of us being a people that follows the rule of law. We should. How do we balance justice with mercy? That is our great challenge, is it not? Yes. Last week, we looked at a very controversial subject, didn't we? We talked about homosexuality. And I shared with you, it's hard to find any person's life in America who has not been touched by that issue. And as a result of that, there's oftentimes much hurt and pain. There are wounds that are open as a result of close family members or friends that have chosen that kind of life. We need to stand where God's Word teaches us concerning that. But at the same time, we need to figure out how do we balance that with ministering to this community in the love of Jesus Christ. How do we do that? We have been given a biblical mandate to minister to all people regardless, regardless of their life. And so that is our great challenge. Well, that brings us to the fourth sermon in this series, to the fourth, the fourth issue that we want to look at this morning. And I will tell you this morning, this is a challenging issue for me. And the reason it's a challenging issue for me, I am biased about this topic, and the reason I am biased about this topic is I have seen firsthand what it can do to people's lives. This morning I want to talk to you about alcohol. I want to talk to you especially in the area of social drinking. In my years of the ministry I have spent counsel- I mean have spent many hours counseling people whose lives are a total wreck because of alcohol. I have seen people commit suicide over it and I've watched people's lives come to financial ruin because of it. I have seen marriages destroyed and families torn apart and I have also noticed within Christian circles it is becoming more and more accepted as the norm for the Christian life. For me, personally, for me, I can see nothing positive coming from it. I can't see it. Now, I realize this morning, there will be some of you who will not, do, will not agree with me. Even if you disagree with me this morning, I want to encourage you to please hear me out as I share God's word about the dangers of alcohol. I hope if we can agree upon nothing else this morning as God's people, that alcohol can create serious dangers in the lives of people. I hope we can agree upon that as God's people this morning. So this morning, I want to start by sharing with you one verse of Scripture that really sums up my motivation for preaching this passage of Scripture. It's a verse of Scripture that is found in Hebrews, the 13th chapter and the 17th verse. I want you to listen to it. The writer is writing to a group of believers, the church. And this is what He says to them, "...Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account." Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now I want to make sure that you understand what it is that I'm saying when I say this. I am not by any means by preaching this sermon saying that you have to follow what it is that I am telling you. I do not believe that the pastor is a dictator. However, I do believe this verse clearly spells out for me my responsibility before God. I would be failing as a pastor in God's eyes if I knew there was something out there that had great potential to cause harm for your life and your family, both spiritually and physically, and I did not warn you against it. So the words that I offer you this morning are words of warning. They are words of encouragement and exhortation. The words that I share with you today come out of a heart of love and not condemnation. Please, please, please hear me say that today. I condemn no one today. What I share is out of my love for you as your pastor about what I see to be major dangers that is very destructive in the life of families and marriages. That is the point from which I share. So this morning, what I want us to do, I want us to jump right into the Word of God. I want God's Word to guide us as we approach this challenging, I even say it's a very ticklesome subject. Wouldn't you agree with that? I believe that. Now, before we get into the real meat, the heart of this sermon, I want to start by stating the obvious. So please just listen to me. Number one you will never ever find a verse of Scripture in the Bible that says, Thou shalt not drink. It's just not there. Now, I will tell you, I wish it was. I wish it was because it would make it a lot easier for me today. I could just say, open your Bibles to 1 Hezekiah chapter 1, verse 1. That book's not in the Bible, so don't look for it. And I would say, see right there in verse 1, the Bible very clearly says, don't consume alcohol. We could close up our Bibles and we could go home, right? It's not there, folks. I will tell you, there are no verses of Scripture in the Bible. You can search them all. You will not find any single verse of Scripture that says, thou shalt not drink. It's just not there. You won't find it. Second... The Bible does warn against drunkenness and calls it a sin. That is very clearly stated in the Bible. If you are here this morning and you are a social drinker, this is the question you will need to deal with in your relationship with the Lord. At what point does drunkenness begin? Is that one drink, two drinks, three drinks, four drinks? At any point in time, you step over the line, you have sinned against God, and that is a serious place to be in the life of a believer. That is the truth of God's Word. I can't define it for you because nowhere in Scripture does it define what that is. But it very clearly says and warns us against drunkenness. He calls it a sin. We need to know the truth of God's Word. Number three, no one, now this, I know, this is stating the obvious. I'm the master of the obvious, so just hang on. No one ever became an alcoholic by not drinking. Let me say that one more time. No one ever became an alcoholic by not drinking. There are over 40 million alcoholics in America. Let that number sink in. 40 million alcoholics in America. Almost 40% of all driving fatalities in America are as a result of alcohol. you hear nothing else I say I think we must all agree about this alcohol can be very deadly that is the truth of God's word it can be very deadly so What I want us to do this morning, I want us to consider the whole counsel of God's word concerning the drinking of alcohol. I want us to ask ourselves and answer from God's word three very important questions. I'm going to give you the first, I'm going to give you the three questions. If you want to go ahead and write them down this morning, then we're going to come back. We're going to ask ourselves those questions. We're going to take them apart. We're going to look in the Word of God. And what I want us to do more than anything else is to allow God's Word, guide us, shape us in what we believe. Question number one, is there great potential for me to dishonor God through the use of alcohol? Is there great potential for me to dishonor God through the use of alcohol? Is there? Well, we're going to look in a moment at a story. I think it will clearly answer that question for us. Number two, does the use of alcohol, does it have the potential to destroy and diminish my witness for Christ? Does it have the potential to destroy and diminish my witness for Christ? Number three, can it be offensive to other brothers and sisters in Christ? Can consuming alcohol socially, I'm not talking about your closet at home, I'm saying socially, Can it be offensive to other brothers and sisters in Christ? All right, so let's open our Bibles this morning to Genesis, the sixth chapter. Genesis, the sixth chapter. We're going to look at a story. Now, what's most amazing to me about alcohol is the first time we are introduced to alcohol in the Bible, we get a glimpse of its destructive nature right away. So if you have your Bibles... Oh wow, tore the whole page out. Genesis chapter 6 this morning, if you would look there with me. Genesis chapter 6. I want to share with you a little bit about the story of a man named Noah. Many of you are familiar with Noah's story. In chapter 6 verse 9 is the very first verse concerning the life of Noah. Won't you follow along there with me? Chapter 6 verse 9 of the book of Genesis. These are the generations of Noah Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now I will tell you, when I read that about that man's life, I think to myself, oh my goodness, if I were to die today, I hope that's what you would say about my life. I hope that you would say, you know, Brother Jeff, he was a righteous man. He was blameless in the sight of his friends and relatives, those that he had relationships with. I hope you would say, you know, if nothing else, when I looked at Brother Jeff's life, he was a man who walked with God. That is how the Bible describes Noah's life. The first word he uses is righteous. Noah wasn't self-righteous. Noah was a man of faith, and because he was a man of faith, he was right in the sight of God based upon that faith. The word blameless, it doesn't mean sinless. The word blameless means above reproach. In all of his dealings with his friends, his relatives, those that he came into contact with, his conduct was above reproach. No one could speak against his life. And third, it says that he was a man who walked with Now, I'm going to give you a little Bible trivia this morning. Don't answer out loud. I don't want any of you to be embarrassed in case you get this wrong, all right? Does anyone know who Noah's grandfather was? His name was Enoch. And this is what it says in the Bible about Enoch. Enoch was a man who walked with God and he was no more. I like what one of my seminary professors say about Enoch. One day Enoch and God went out for a little walk. They realized they were closer to God's home than Enoch's home, so Enoch just went over and stayed with him. That's the kind of legacy that Noah had. A father who walked, I mean a grandfather who walked with God, and he was no more. No doubt that had influenced Noah's life. And if Noah's story ended right here, we would all say, Oh my goodness, what an awesome life. Wouldn't you agree with me on that? Righteous, blameless, walked with God. Now many of us know the story of Noah. You know, God tells Noah to build a big ark. He's going to judge the nations of the earth and out of all of the people on the earth, God chooses to spare Noah and all of his family. They go on to the ark. The Bible says that God closes the door. The entire earth is flooded. All of the inhabitants die as a result of God's judgment against their sinfulness. And the whole generation All of mankind begins with Noah and his family. After the floods recede, the water recedes, Noah comes out, God makes a covenant with Noah. And as a sign of that covenant, you know what God says? I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky, promising that I will never flood the earth again. That is the life of Noah. But can I also remind you, that is not the end of Noah's life. Turn with me over to chapter 9 of the book of Genesis. Because to me, chapter 9 of the book of Genesis records some of the saddest words anywhere in scripture I want you to listen to what it says here Noah began verse 20 Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard he drank of the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered in his tent and Ham, the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and he told his two brothers outside. Then Sham and Jephthah took a garment, laid it on both of their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done, listen to these words, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants, shall he be to his brothers.'" When I read that, I think to myself, oh my goodness. Here was a man who started life so very well and ended so very poorly. When his story opens, it says that he is a righteous, blameless man walking with God. When his story closes, he's lying drunk in his tent, naked without any indignity and embarrassed when he comes to his senses. And as a result of it, he goes out and he curses his own son. This is one of the great men of the Bible in the road call of faith. He is shameful, cursing his son, and has brought great dishonor to God and to his family because one moment of weakness in his life, he got drunk. Oh, my goodness. Think about that for a moment. When I read a story like this, the first thing that comes to my mind is why in the world would I ever want to mess with something that has the potential to cause such great destruction in my life, in the life of my family, and in my relationship with God? After all, it only takes one moment of weakness to destroy so much. Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? I could tell you story after story of parents who have struggled with the fact that they drank in front of their children and now they have a child that is an alcoholic. I could tell you story after story of that. Whether we want to acknowledge it this morning, parents, our children look to us for what is wrong and right in the culture that we live in. That is the truth of God's word. They look to us. Is it really worth it? Is it worth it? As I evaluate this story, I have to draw the conclusion, alcohol has serious potential to cause me to dishonor God in my life and the question that really strikes me this morning is is it really worth it is it worth it now understand something this morning please hear me when I say this in God's grace and mercy and in his love we can overcome a multitude of shortcomings as parents Don't ever diminish the power of God in our lives. Don't ever do that. But I have to walk away drawing the conclusion there is great potential to dishonor God through the use of alcohol in my life. One moment of weakness. Blameless, righteous, walked with God. Naked, shameful, curses his very son. Honestly, we could close the Bible right there and we could be done this morning. Couldn't we? Yeah. Number two, does the use of alcohol have the potential to diminish or destroy my witness. We're going to have to hurry. I already see the clock. We're rushing along. As followers of Christ, we have been called not to live unto ourselves, but to live life unto the Lord. Many of you probably recognize by now that one of my favorite verses of scripture in the Bible is Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Paul writes there, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. No verse of Scripture in the Bible makes it any plainer what it truly means to live the Christian life. Living the Christian life means dying to self and to sin on a daily basis so that Christ might fully live in and through me. When we came to Christ, we gave up all the rights to our life. I know that is not a popular notion in America. I know there are many churches that don't teach that. But I will tell you today the clear teaching of New Testament Christianity is this when we trusted Jesus Christ, it's no longer about my desires and what I want in this life. It's no longer about my hopes, my aspirations, my dreams. It's only about what Jesus Christ wants of my life now. That's the truth. That is the truth of Scripture. Now I'm not saying that God doesn't sometimes give us our hopes, dreams, and aspirations. Isn't that true? He does. Praise the Lord for that. He is a gracious and giving God. When we came into a relationship with Jesus Christ, He called us to be a living witness of who He is. Through the lives we live and the words we speak, we are to be living, talking witnesses of Jesus Christ's saving power. Would you agree with me on that this morning as a believer? I hope you would. Now you know the reason I asked that. Because you know in the back of your mind I'm setting you up, right? Well, listen to what the Bible says. I want you to listen to this verse of Scripture. Matthew, the 5th chapter, the 16th verse. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right before that, Jesus Christ said, we are A light on a hillside. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Jesus lives in us. We show forth His light to a lost and dying world through the choices and the actions that we make or do. So here's the question. In our American culture, is it possible to fulfill that verse in your life? through social drinking. Now some of you are probably saying, well pastor, I like to go out with my friends after a hard day's work and have a few beers. I like to go to my Christmas party and have a few drinks. I don't want to have to give those things up. Just remember, this is all I'm saying, just remember, you don't live life unto yourself. You live life unto the Lord. We will never, ever, ever, ever reach the world by becoming like the world. It will not happen. You need to ask yourself this question. Considering what I know about alcohol in America, does drinking socially help me to be a more effective witness or does it diminish my witness with the people around me? I can't answer that question for you. Only you and the Lord can answer that question. All right. As I close this second point, I want to share this one last verse with you that is found in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. The book of Proverbs is called Wisdom Literature. Don't miss that, place. There is a reason it is called Wisdom Literature. The reason, you are wise if you heed what is written there. All right? Listen to this verse. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. One more time, listen to it very carefully, alright? Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler. I've met a lot of guys that are six foot tall and bulletproof when they get drunk. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. When I ask myself the question, does the use of alcohol have the potential to destroy my witness, the only conclusion I can draw is this. Yes. Yes. It does. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, what's more important than my own desires is testifying to a lost and dying world of who Jesus Christ is. That's the truth of God's Word. Number three, is it offensive to other brothers or sisters in Christ? The Christian life was never intended to be lived in isolation. We live the Christian life in the context of a spiritual family, the body of Christ, the church, Now, listen to me carefully. So, the choices we make don't just affect me individually, they also affect my brothers and sisters in Christ. That is the truth of God's Word. I want you to turn your Bibles quickly over to Romans, the 13th chapter. I want you to listen to this passage of Scripture. Paul is writing to the church at Rome. I'm sorry, Romans the 14th chapter. I can't remember if I said 13 or not. They are struggling with the freedom they have been given in Christ, and as a result, some were abusing that freedom at the expense of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says that should not be. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking In other words, for the believer, the Christian life is not about a list of do's and don'ts. The Christian life is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. So listen to what Paul writes here in this passage of Scripture. You may think when you read this, oh my goodness, does God really expect this of my life? Listen to what he says. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brothers is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you you eat, do not destroy the one whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another one stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes a brother to stumble and fall in Christ Jesus. This is a challenging passage of Scripture for the American Christian. You know why? Why? Because everything in our society, in our culture says it's all about me and what I want to do. And I shouldn't have to answer to anyone for the choices and the decisions I make. Paul turns that world upside down. Do you see that here? He turns it completely around, does he not? Yeah. Yeah. Let me offer you three principles that should always guide our Christian freedom. We're closing, all right? Christian freedom must be practiced with responsibility. My father is a historian. He loves to watch TV at times, and when he sees those people on TV writing and expressing their so-called freedom, he always makes this statement, and it has stayed with me throughout my life. Freedom does not give us the ability to do what we want Freedom gives us the ability to do what we ought to do. That is true. That is true. We should never practice the freedom we have in Christ at the expense of others. If I know an action in my life, the key word is know, is causing another brother or sister in Christ to stumble, I should not do it. That is the truth of God's word. Number two, Christian freedom must always be practiced in light of God's kingdom. What is most important? The kingdom of God is what's most important. Everything God does is for His glory and the furthering of His kingdom. We should always live with a kingdom mentality, not for ourselves. Number three, Christian freedom must be practiced with brotherly love in mind. Love is the key. The key that should guide our lives should be our love for Christ. Love is always more important than the freedoms that we have been given in Christ Jesus. Love. It's what Paul said, brotherly love. Now for some of you here, having a glass of wine at a meal would never be a struggle with your conscience. And I'm not saying it would be. I'm not even saying that you're sinning by doing that. Please don't leave here and hear me say that. But for the new believer who saw you doing that in a social setting that was saved out of a lifestyle of drinking, it very well may be a great struggle for them and may even cause them to stumble back into that life. And Lord, help us if we ever do that. Lord, help us. Paul very clearly says that in Scripture. Do not be a stumbling block in the life of another believer. As I look at Scripture concerning social drinking in the world in which we live in, And I look at those three questions. Is there great potential to cause me to dishonor God through my drinking? Is there great potential to diminish or destroy my witness? Can it cause another brother or sister in Christ to stumble and fall? For me, the answer to those questions seemed very clear. Very clear very clear I should not do that I shouldn't do it what about you how would you answer those questions knowing what God's word says let's pray